Hey, everybody, welcome to Inside Situation, a bi weekly podcast where we share with you some of the conversations we're having in the agency. I'm Peter Gajisic, head of technology at Situation, and today I have two wonderful guests with me in the studio. Uh, first, we have Sarah Shepard, uh, one of our senior account executives here at Situation. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Peter. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thanks for being here. And we have a first-time guest on the podcast, Molly Shapiro, uh, our, one of our account supervisors at Situation. Hey, Molly. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for so much for being here. Um, so uh, you guys are both uh, members of our uh, client services team. And uh, the topic that I thought we could talk about today um, I thought you would each have a unique perspective on, uh, and Sarah, you actually recommended this topic. Um, we occasionally throw out to the agency, you know, ideas for, for topics for inside situation. And you came back with the concept of obsession, uh, specifically as it relates to being a, a really passionate fan about something, um, which I completely can relate to. Are you guys, are you guys fans? Are there things in your life that you get really, really excited about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I am a giant nerd. And proudly one. And so throughout my life, I have different things that become my one obsession for very long periods of time. In middle school, it was Harry Potter. Um, and more recently, um, it was the NBC sitcom uh, community, which ran for about five years Kind of on and off, almost. Right. Um, it came back a couple of times. Yeah, it got canceled. It came back. It lived on Yahoo for a while. I got used to the roller coaster of thinking every at the end of every season, the show was never coming back again. Right. Um, and every every subsequent season we got was very precious. Well, uh, and that's a great. I think that's a great example for our topic because that's an example of a piece of entertainment that, by dint of the fact that it had obsessed fans, it kind of had some life after. Uh, it, it stopped a couple of times because they, they demanded more. Yes. That's that's interesting. There were protests outside Rockefeller Center. Was there a mailing campaign with that one? I, um, I don't remember if there was. But I know some other TV shows in the past, they, they've asked their fans to mail items to the yeah. networks. I, I think they asked everyone to mail, and this is very, it's a very cult TV show, Black Goatees. <laughs> um, from the darkest timeline, which is a community concept I won't get too deep into, but I remember I put black goatees on my social profile images and a lot of people were wearing them outside 30 rock or mailing them to 30 rock is like a, Hey, don't cancel our show. We love it. Wow. Um, it's one of the most engaged fan bases yeah. I've ever seen. And, and Molly, uh, how about you? Are you a fan personally in your life? Has there been something in your life that you've been, you would qualify as saying you're obsessed with? Um, I don't know that I necessarily have an obsession. I definitely fall into a Broadway rabbit hole, as my husband likes to call it, which will start with me watching one video and spiral into mm. three or four hours on YouTube. I don't even know where I ultimately end up, but it's watching theater. Um, but back in high school, I was somewhat obsessed with So You Think You Can Dance. And I used to go on the message boards and I would read what people were saying about all of the numbers after they had happened. Um, I never contributed myself. I was just kind of an observer. I would take it in. Um, I would have conversations with my friends based on what other people were saying. I would bring that up in conversation. Um, but I was never actually actively a part of uh, those conversations on the message boards. But I think that was probably my one obsession that lasted a few years. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the Broadway one. For me, you know, when I was a young kid, I think it was cast albums. Um, you know, I, I didn't live near New York City. I didn't see a lot of live theater, but I my kind of obsession with theater began with listening over and over again. I can remember 
Les Mis. I can remember Phantom of the Opera, just like constantly having those on and repeating and, you know, knowing every single word of every single song by heart. Uh, and, and you know, like you, Sarah, I'm proudly a nerd. Through my life, there have been a lot of things that I've been obsessed with, whether they're TV shows like Doctor Who or, uh, you know, just I, I think we live in a time where because of the Internet and because of social media, it's very easy to find people that share your obsession. And that, I think, can help to fuel it. Um, whereas before you might've been the only person in your community that should, you know, loved a certain thing. Now, when you find other people that are like-minded, it kind of helps to perpetuate that, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, it, you know, we're in a unique position working at situation because not only do we have our own personal and private things that we're obsessed with, but we work with a lot of brands that have a very rabid, uh, uh, passionate fan base that are very supportive for the most part, although maybe not a hundred percent all the time, but who are generally very supportive of the properties that we work on, whether it's TV, whether it's Broadway shows. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about what are some of the, the challenges or the things that surprise you about dealing with a fan base for a show that gets really, really enthusiastic about that property? Is it, is it exciting? Is, is, you know, or is it something that you think is 100% good? Are there challenges around it? Um, so I think, I mean, if you work on whether it's a product, a show, a TV show where you have a really engaged and avid fan base, it definitely opens up a lot of doors for you. And it presents you with a lot of opportunities that you can take advantage of and explore because you have that fan base that's there that loves you, that wants more from you. Um so it's an exciting place to be. It lets you kind of go in directions you wouldn't have otherwise thought of because the fans are asking things of you. Mm. Um, so it's a great opportunity. It certainly has its challenges. Um, I think, you know, if anybody loves something so much that they would call themselves obsessed, you're setting the bar really high and you leave room for disappointment right. because it either the product isn't living up to what they, the notion that they have in their mind, or they don't feel like they're being embraced as much as they would want to. So there are challenges, but I think um, it's definitely a great opportunity to have that base there to continue to cultivate and start those conversations with your fans. Because at the end of the day, we succeed if we have our fans. We want those people who right. are obsessed, who want to come back, who want to talk about it, who want to be a part of something. And it's, it's genuinely fun to get to do that part of it, I think. Like when I first started working here, um, the account services team also answered contact us and helped a lot with like replying to people on Twitter. And it was a great opportunity to get to be the voice of the show and have these people who love you so dearly hear hear from you. And right. the way they react when like, you know, it's it's really easy for us to send a tweet as one of our shows, but... For them, it's a big deal to know that, like, oh, the show saw what I did. The show knows I care about it. Like, that's yeah. huge. Well, and I think that's that's one of the things about that I think is so fascinating about social media that I think helps to ignite the idea of connection between uh, a show or a star and their fans is that ability to either have a direct conversation via Twitter, like maybe they'll reply to my tweet or like if I tweet about the show, or be one degree removed. And I think, you know, to for, for a lot of people to understand that they do have a line of communication is very exciting. They don't have to just be a passive fan, they could be active. And at the very least, 
you know, we I think when we deal with the fans of the shows that we work on, we take that very seriously because we know that those those are the folks that can help amplify the message. So as opposed to just spending a lot of money to, you know, put display ads out in the world, we can activate social media. Uh, and, and I think that uh, that's a very powerful tool in the toolbox. Um, or it can be. Have you guys ever had experiences working on shows where uh, this, the fans have become, you know, gone the other direction, where they've they've become disappointed by some decisions that have been made, or they didn't like the way uh, a, a, something was communicated to them, and and they became disenchanted or became upset with the property. Yeah, I, I think with certain properties, there can be a nostalgia tied to a version of it, whether you've got, you're like reviving an older version of a show that people are very fond of or a property that, that is new to Broadway, but not new to pop culture. You, right. You've got people who come in with very specific expectations. The same way. Anytime a superhero movie comes out and they cast someone a little different than people were expecting, like there's outrage by these fans because they've built up in their minds or, or in their experiences, what they're expecting to yeah. happen. Which can be hard, but at the same time, it's an opportunity to, like, prove your show is good enough and it's it's still a quality production. It's still a quality piece. They're going to love it, yeah. even if it's not what they were expecting. Well, one of the things that I found, especially for shows that we work on that have been around for a long time, you know, when people first discover or become obsessed with something, that is their cast. You know, going back to my example from listening to Les Mis as a kid, I will listen obsessively even to this day to the London cast. That's my that's the version that's locked in amber in my head. And every other one that I hear is a little bit wrong to me because that's just the way my obsessed brain works. And I know that we've got we've had people that have seen casts change over in some of our longer running shows. And I think they have a what my my what I've seen is they have a real fondness for like their cast whether it's the original cast of a show like Wicked, for example. We won't use too many specific names on the podcast today, but that's a show that's been running around for a really long time. And I think people have an idea of, you know, if they saw it with Adina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth, like they have that as their their primary. But what I've seen is that as new stars come into those shows, people that really love the property are very generous with the new iterations, they they are supportive. They want the thing to succeed and thrive, and they tend to, you know, they'll always have that special moment in their head of the one that they they saw the first time. But then they really do try to get other people to love and support the the newer versions. Do you find that that holds true from, in in the shows that you work on? I definitely think there is an affinity. If you have an obsession for something, there is that affinity for the original version. Even if it wasn't the original cast, it's whatever you saw and whatever you then consumed um, afterwards, whether it was watching videos on YouTube or listening to a cast album, that's what you have set in your mind. Um, so it's hard to to go in and hear something that's a little bit different, that's still fantastic, but not what you've been playing on repeat for the last maybe five years. Um but I think exactly what you said, Peter, what we've seen um, on a number of our shows that we work on that have had cast changeovers, because if you run for more than a year, chances are you're going to have a, a cast changeover. Um, we've seen a really supportive fan base who they if they love the property, they're going to embrace it. It might be a little different. It might not be their original version, but it's still great and it's still that that thing that they fell in love with initially. And and I think that's honestly the most important for shows because if, if you have a show with a very big star kind of kicking it off, you'll have your your fair weather 
people, not even fair weather, I think just like your more standard theater goers who aren't obsessed, who might be like, well, no, I only wanted to see it with this person. But you have your fans who are powering through. I want to see it with every single person. I want to see it right. again and again. Your I want completists. To, yes, who want to talk about it and share it with people regardless of who's starring. And they're, they're a very good foundation to have. Yeah. When that happens. And that was something really interesting. We worked on Hedwig and the Angry Inch a couple of years ago, and that was not a one person show. There there were about six cast members, but um, it really centered on who was playing Hedwig. And right. it started with Neil Patrick Harris. And there was such a love for him. And he won a Tony Award for the role. And then Andrew Rannells came in and you had. Yes, there were people who bought a ticket initially because they wanted to see Neil. And that was all they wanted to come and see. But you right. had your headheads, which started out maybe as a smaller group of people who knew the knew and loved the movie or the off-Broadway production and grew into a huge mass, um, including my 59-year-old mother who became a true headhead and came back, yeah. I think, 20 times. But you had those people who wanted to continue to come back because they loved the show and they loved experiencing something a little bit different each time. No person who came into the role did what the person before them did. And that's right. the case, not just with a show like Hedwig, but with any show, you're not going to change the production itself, but no one is going to be a cookie cutter um, exact replica of the person before them. They're going to have their own take on who that character is, what that role should be. Right. Um, so it's really interesting. And the fans come back because they want to, they want to see how it evolves. They want to see other people's take. <laughs> I was about to say, and as this is a room full of headheads right now, I believe like, I can totally endorse that. On my honeymoon, we saw Lena Hall play Hedwig in San Francisco just because I was like, I've seen every other Hedwig. I have to see right. Lena Hall play Hedwig. Like, it was really important. Well, that's that's a real – I think that's one of the real opportunities with live entertainment as well. If I'm obsessed with a TV show uh, like The West Wing, which I happen to be, um, or with a movie, uh, a movie franchise, I may go back and watch that same exact performance over and over again if I really like it. But I think that is an opportunity with live entertainment to – to bring new people in to reinterpret it and reinvent it. And, and Sarah, the fact that you on your honeymoon, you know, wanted to go see something that you actually worked on in, in part, I think is a real testament to the fact that that's a powerful force. You know, it, it, the, the last thing you might have wanted to do was, you know, think about work when you were on your honeymoon. But, you know, you you had such a passion for that property that you you really wanted to see what a, a, a new person bringing uh, something to that experience would do. And and I, I think it's also, you know, Hedwig's a great example. Uh, I think there was some trepidation before the Neil version that was on Broadway because so many people loved the John Cameron Mitchell version from back in the 90s, um, you know, or the movie. Uh, you know, the Hedwig has had a lot of incarnations. And then I think there were some people who, you know, were wanted to give it a chance, but they they could also hear from the fact that the original creator, the original Hedwig was involved in the production I think also helped people to get over their their fear. They were at least willing to give it a shot, and then they they really embraced it. Um, can you talk a, a little bit about? Um, I, I've had some experience uh, many years ago. I, I worked as a moderator for a message board for a show, and there were there were people on the message board who the community kind of raised up to a position of authority. There were like I would say kind of alpha fans. Um, who would, for whatever reason, if you, you know, if you read about self-organizing groups or societies, this happens a lot. Somebody will kind of rise to the top as being not someone who's officially part of the thing, but who's given recognition as like a super fan or speaking for the fans. Have you guys noticed that in the shows that you work on, that there, there tends to be someone whose voice carries more weight in the fan community? 
And and how does that happen? Do you think? I it happens in my real life, which is why that's like my I'm part of a podcast fan network. And within that podcast network, there are certain fans that like everyone knows. And like, if right. they get up at a live show and ask a question, people cheer right. for that person who is just another fan of the podcast like you are. So I, I that's such a real phenomenon that I'm yeah. like, no, I, I like I was really excited when I became friends with this one other podcast person because like, oh, they get it. Like they're always talked about on X, Y, or Z. Right. But uh, in, in like uh, in the, the Broadway world, I feel like there definitely are a lot of them are on Tumblr and I feel like you get into an awkward place with them sometimes because they're, they're prominent in the conversation. I I'm sure if you go out and ask our engagement team right now, like by show, they can name like four or five Twitter or Tumblr usernames where they're like, Oh yeah, these are the ones everybody knows they're right. obsessed. But at the same time, those people can sometimes take almost too much ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they, they can get to a point where like they're sharing illegal recordings of the show and we have right. to walk a fine line where we're like, we so appreciate your passion for this, but we can't have this online. Like Broadway is meant to be seen live in a person, not right. off someone's cell phone. And so you, you, you don't want to have to police people, but at the same time you want to make sure like the property isn't, is being held up to a certain standard. Well, and that, I mean, I think that's what's given rise to the whole concept of the influencer. You you know, at, on some level, people whose voice carries more weight on social media are being wooed by brands and in some cases paid by brands to help steer the conversation in a way that feels, I guess, more genuine. And, and, and I'm not saying kind of, you know, you can hire a celebrity to kind of pitch your product. That's one type of influencer relationship. But you can also just you know, make sure that somebody who does have, you know, has a lot of weight within the fan community, you can make sure that they get free tickets to things. You can make sure that they're there for opening night or they're the ones that get, they kind of become the ambassadors to the group at large, but they still have this, this, uh, this, they're still viewed as being maybe a little bit more pure, a little bit more in the fan world. Um, and we'll give you an honest opinion, I think is, is what we've seen. Um, it had is working with influencers. How much of a part of that is is part of the strategy in, in the conversations that we have around the the brands that we're working with now? Um, I think it definitely comes up a lot more frequently than it used to. Um, I've been a part of some influencer nights where not just necessarily digital influencers, but just people. And to your point, Peter, it's not we're not necessarily going out and hiring a celeb and giving them tickets to come and see the show and then talk about it. But we're finding those people who may have a high follower count, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or any other platform, but they're already expressing an affinity for the brand. They're already talking about the show or excited about the show. And so we've looked to identify those people and then provide them with an enhanced experience. And what is really um, interesting and what I think proves successful is when you don't do that in a vacuum when you're not only doing that for the influencer who has 2 million followers, but you're also taking that kind of high touch enhanced experience moment for a fan who might have a hundred followers, because then it actually feels more organic. It's not, um, it's not just to focus on, we're using you for what you can do for us. Yes, there is an element of that. Um, but it's identifying those people who truly are fans, just like each and every other fan that is out there, regardless of, um, what their actual influence is. Yeah. Um, 
But I think the influencer nights that we have had, we've seen great success with those people who are fans who come in, who have this great experience. And then we don't tell them you need to go and create this thing. But they come to us and say, I was so inspired. I want to do X, Y and Z. And that's where it gets really exciting because you're bringing in minds that are completely maybe outside of the theater world, think entirely differently. And they bring up things that you never would have thought of that are pretty great. Well, and they may also help you reach an audience that is slightly different than than the theater avids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, Molly, you brought up the, uh, I, you know, kind of not just talking to the people that are, are, you know, have a million followers. I think social media has given us an opportunity to also have high touch moments with people in a different way. You know, it's, it, we can make it a two way communication. I know we've done uh, the, the engagement team did uh, for a show not too long ago. They went out over what was it, a 24 hour period and, and actually made personal touch points with people via social media and shared music from the show that hadn't been released yet, kind of in a limited, hey, we're recognizing you. And through, you know, be, because we're using the technology at hand, we can give you something special that we're not worried if it gets, you know, shared or bootlegged because we're, we're using the technology to try and prevent that. But I think that really the, the, that kind of stuff really goes a long way when people are recognize that that they are all of their passion is rewarded in some in some capacity and you know i know that that uh it was a very intense period of time for our social media team but that wasn't it was something that i don't think uh we didn't have to spend a ton of money beyond human labor to get that done do you see that as an effective strategy to help kind of uh incentivize the fans to to stay connected because they think maybe they'll be rewarded I definitely think there's an element of that. I think when you're having that one-to-one communication with a fan where they feel like they've been heard, um, they're a part of your community, part of your family, they are more, they're going to do more for you and they're going to be there um, and they're going to be more supportive. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want. So um, I think it's, it's definitely important to identify those moments, not to do it all the time. And as you said, it, it took, you know, it was a 24 hour window. It took a lot of time and labor and it's not something we can do on an ongoing basis, but identifying those moments, whether it's around a, a key moment in the show or the, the brand's life um, and really just engaging the fans in a personalized way to keep them excited. Yeah. And I, to use a word, a phrase we throw around a lot around here, and I love surprise and delight them. Yeah. Like, especially when, you know, a show is first starting, maybe we don't completely have our fan base yet, especially if we, we have a show that's not as known of a property. Uh, there's, a, there's a moment to try to find the people we know will probably love us and give them a reason to, whether it be like surprising them and delighting them with, a, with an album or finding another way. A, a little way, like even if we just make them like a custom photo card that's just for them, it gives them a moment yeah. to be like, oh, you do care about me. And right. I wasn't expecting this at all. Well, and and I also, uh, you know, one one of the things that our engagement team also does is they'll kind of put the spin of the brand onto something shareable via social media around different holidays. Uh, I know, again, going back to Wicked, uh, the there was, there was a series of cards that came out on uh, diff- different holidays. I think there was one that came out with Easter where we did it with like green peep and a pink peep. And I, the, where the thing that really blew my mind is my sister is a big fan of Wicked. She actually sent 
that piece of social media to me that and I, I got to be able to tell her, I was like, oh my God, we helped create that. We worked on that. So that was like a full circle kind of fan obsession moment that I had is like, wow, this is really powerful. People really do embrace these things and, and, and appreciate when, when we put little things out into the world for them to continue uh, their, their connection with the brand. Yeah. And I, I think something fun we did um, for the Tony Awards for the Super Bowl is we worked with all the Broadway shows, not just the ones we work on, but all the different agencies and we we created Super Bowl themed Broadway assets right which is always a fun opportunity because Broadway's you know an, an insular community and we don't overlap too much with sports um there there are Broadway and sports fans who exist um but uh, or, or marriages between the two yes yeah. um and there's it, it's fun to be able to kind of be a part of a very big conversation the Super Bowl but be able to make it a Broadway thing so that the community feels involved in something they might not otherwise which people get really excited about Cool. Well, um, thank you guys so much for, for talking today about obsessions. Before we go, uh, I want to put you on the spot. Is there anything that you're currently uh, obsessed with or excited about uh, in, your, in your daily life or that you're really excited about the next version, the next episode or, or a show that's coming up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shame myself right now, but I'm okay with it. Um, I really love The Bachelor franchise. Mm-hmm. And I love a podcast about The Bachelor franchise called Rose Buddies. And because of that podcast, I run a Bachelor Fantasy League. And thankfully, the season of The Bachelorette is about to come up. So I'm about to have my Mondays back where I go to a bar with about 40 other people and watch this franchise and uh, create Fantasy League teams based on the people participating. And it's been a bit of a drought without it for the past few months. So I'm very excited about that. And and just that one specifically, do you think that does The Bachelor... Does ABC, ABC is the Bachelor, right? Yeah. Do they recognize this level of fandom? Like, is there, do, oh, are yeah. there winks within the, the the program to kind of recognize the fact that the, this kind of community has sprung up? They literally refer to us as Bachelor Nation. Bachelor Nation. And, yeah. and in, there's often like post shows with a live studio audience where like Bachelor Nation is acknowledged. They'll have camera crews show up at Bachelor viewing parties that totally aren't staged. And... <laughs> Um, they, they do acknowledge it this year. They launched with ESPN, like a bracket for eliminations, which I, I prefer the Rose Rose Reckoner fantasy league that I use, but it's just, it's expanded to a point where like when ESPN is involved with your reality TV show, you've, you've got a pretty obsessed fandom. Yeah, I would say Molly, is there, is there anything that you're looking forward to or you're currently really enjoying? Um, I'm not just saying this because they're my shows, but there are a couple of shows I'm currently working on that I wouldn't necessarily call them obsessions, but I definitely find myself sitting at home and listening to the music on repeat or watching the content, whether it's stuff that we've created or um, other pieces of kind of fan-inspired content around those products. Um, I find myself doing that for hours on end. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it definitely helps. It's one of the things I love about working here is that, you know, as someone who, who does share and tends to, when I find a, a show that I really like, I do want to hear it over and over again. I think that's one of the nice things to be able to say, okay, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I kind of really like the property that we're working on as opposed to, uh, you know, not being able to want to have anything to do with it when I leave. It, it, it definitely helps. Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, you, our listeners, if you want to share any of your obsessions with us, please send us a, an email to podcast at situation.nyc. Molly and Sarah, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Thanks Peter. For having and we'll talk to you guys again in a couple of weeks. Bye.